everybody, and welcome back to the second episode in our series, Know Thyself on the Enneagram. I'm John Lemons, the minister to young adults at First Baptist Church in Huntsville, Alabama, and I'm joined by Sam Maxwell, who is our young adult ministry resident, and Scott and Allie Day. Scott Day is our missions minister, and Allie is his wife, and they are, at least to me, experts on the Enneagram. So uh, they are here helping us work through what the Enneagram is all about and uh, how you know how to apply it to our life and how to learn more about it and where to look to learn more about it. So I want to thank them for being here. I want to thank you for listening. And as we get started, I want to say we are recording this on a Wednesday night and 24 hours from now, the oh, Kansas yes. City Chiefs will be kicking oh, yes. off the NFL season. Scott Day is the biggest oh, yes. Kansas City Chiefs fan that I know. So I want to ask Scott on, on the eve of NFL kickoff, like, how are you feeling, man? Uh, well, we're Super Bowl champs, in case anyone <laughs> forgot. So feel pretty good. We used our uh, stimulus checks to keep our quarterback for another decade, which is also amazing. Yes. Man, I feel good. I'm just, it just, it honestly does crack me up because I grew up in and around Kansas City and uh, in Missouri. And our team has perpetually been the lovable losers. And now, like, we're just randomly on commercials on TV. And it's just like, this is what? This is weird. Oh man, I'm, I can't wait. I'm intentionally planning a nap for tomorrow afternoon so I don't fall asleep on the couch like I know I will tomorrow night, but can't wait. Nice. I remember a, a day in time in Steelers country that we would poke fun at fun of this kid in my homeroom because he was a Chiefs fan. And we're like, dude, why not just be a Steelers fan? We win everything. It's a uh, come full circle. Well, and, and I can speak as a Nationals fan. We had our day in the sun last year and it was pretty awesome. And before that, we were the butt of jokes quite often. In fact, I read a lot of things that talked about how similar the, the national season and, and chief season were, at least in terms of the playoffs, because they both got into the playoffs and faced like insurmountable odds and had these crazy comebacks, which as a fan were nerve wracking to watch. But like looking back now, it, it was such a pleasure because it was one of those things that like, you know, you're never going to see this again for the rest of your life. And it was such a fun joy ride. And looking back now with all the stress gone, it was so enjoyable and, and such a pleasure. And of course, the Nats are having a terrible year this year. Uh, I, I hope your your Kansas City Chiefs do better. They probably will. They got the best quarterback in the NFL, but we'll, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. I can't wait to try to act really professional in my Zoom meetings tomorrow <laughs> in my Chiefs jersey and championship hat. Yes, yes. No big deal. There you go. Now, so, Ali, how are you feeling about the onset of Kansas City Chiefs football season? <laughs> um. Do you Slightly watch? Disappointed <laughs> that it's starting nice. because my husband is now gone. <laughs> so you don't watch with him. I will see you in March. <laughs> nice. I I don't. So does Scott become like yeah. a different person when he watches like a different enneagram number? Um, I don't. <laughs> it's not so externalized, but like, it's a driving force. Nice <laughs> football. Nice watching sports is a a big deal in Scott's life, not so much in mine. One of these. So that'll be a future. Uh, future young adult FBC podcast series live sports with with Scott Day. We'll do it. <laughs> oh, we're gonna like three hour long podcast episodes. <laughs> live color commentary from the three of us. <laughs> yeah, I'm just I'm just watching a game. Yeah. So we're gonna roll in now to the Enneagram and talk about uh, the triad that we're talking about for today. I'm gonna turn that over to Scott and Allie in just a moment. I will say if this is your first episode in this series that you're listening to, you may want to hit pause. And go back and listen to episode one where we gave an introduction of what uh, what to look for in this, um, how to approach it, and those sorts of things. How the Enneagram can help you and, and sort of the spiritual value to it. So 
be sure to go back and check that out if you haven't already and use that as sort of the springboard into the rest of our conversation this month. So with that said, I'm going to turn it over to Scott and Allie. We're going to talk about the anger triad tonight. So tell us more about what that is. Yeah, so we're going to talk about one of the three triads tonight, which are the anger triad. And Allie is going to talk about that a little bit more. So we're doing personality numbers. We're going to use numbers and types kind of inter interplay. And, you know, we're going to use them interchangeably. That's the word that I was stumbling around for. So it's really okay. So before we do anything else, let's just go over the nine types and the names in like a brief sentence for each one. So you at least have something in the back of your head. So number one, is known as the reformer or the perfectionist. They are ethical, dedicated, and reliable, and they are motivated by being able to do things the right way. So everything is right or wrong. It's very clear. And they want to, at all costs, to avoid being at fault. Two is the helper or the giver. They're known as warm, caring, and gift, motivated by a need to be loved, needed, and avoid acknowledging their own needs. So they tend to focus on the needs of others. Nice. Threes are the achievers or performers, so this is my number. They are successful, they are image conscious, and they are wired to be productive. Um, they are motiv motivated by a need to be and to appear to be successful and avoid failing. Uh, number four is the romantic or the individualist, that's my number. Um, they're known as being creative, sensitive, they're motiv motivated by a need to be understood, experience big feelings, and avoid being ordinary. Fives are the investigator or the observer. They are analytical, detached, private. They are motivated by a consistent, a constant need to gain knowledge. Um, six is the loyalist or the skeptic. They're committed, practical, and witty. They're motivated by fear and a need for security. Sevens are the enthusiast. They are fun. Uh, they are adventurous, and they are motivated to be happy at all times and to plan these stimulating experiences, but really to avoid pain. Or negative feelings. Yes. Um, eight is the challenger or protector. They're known as commanding, intense, and confrontational. They're motiv motivated by a need to be strong and avoid feeling weak or vulnerable. And lastly, nines are the peacemakers or the mediators. They are pleasant. They're laid back, accommodating. They are motivated by keeping the peace at all times, and so they want to avoid conflict. So, John, as you mentioned, we're doing the anger triad this week. So all these numbers are divided into different triads. The feeling, doing, and thinking. This week we're doing the anger triad. So for each triad, Scott mentioned this last week, there is a number who externalizes it, internalizes it, or avoids it. So this week for anger, eights will externalize that, ones will internalize it, and nines will avoid anger. We're going to go ahead and start with eights. Um, and just a reminder, we're going what seems like out of order, but it's actually in order of the triads. Before you start, I have a couple questions real quick. Yes. Um, the first one is all of these adjectives and descriptive words, are these static across all resources? Like, will you have the same describing words, or do they kind of vary based on author? I would say, I mean, probably not the exact same words are used, but generally those are the the agreed upon um, characteristics of each number. Again, there's always outliers, and we talked about how there's movements within numbers, and you also have these things called wings that we won't get into. Um, so every number looks really different, um, and even within a number it can look different. So I usually talk about like a color wheel, like we could be the same number when we're both blue, but I could be periwinkle and you could be royal blue. So it could look very different, um, but within the same number it can look different. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I was just thinking, you know, if 
someone was listening to the brief descriptions and they were like, I'm not quite sure that describes me, but kind of. Um, I just don't want folks to, you know, feel like, well, I'm just not quite sure I fit into any of the nine because none of those make sense to me. Um, and then the other question I have, since we're kind of just doing the three, if someone's like, well, I'm not an eight, nine, or a one, is there a reason for them to continue listening from this point? Like, what's the value in them learning about the anger triad? Um, absolutely. Like I said last week, I think setting aside what you think your number is, is really helpful um, to listen to all of the numbers because you could be wrong. A test you t took might be mistyping you. Um, but also just out of community motivation, it's good to know other numbers because it helps you down the road. If you have a community that's invested in the Enneagram, then you have language to talk about not just yourself, but others as well. Yeah. And at some point in time, even if, even if you're not an eight, nine or one, you're going to work with one or might be married to one or, or something to that extent. <laughs> so I think it is probably helpful in that regard. And I will say too, like, is there like a resource uh, that we can put up in our show notes, uh, maybe with an overview of all nine of these and then you know, an image or whatever of the, of the anger triad, or we yes. can create so, one. <laughs> yes. So we have an image that we will um, sort of point to every now and then, mostly because it shows the arrows, the directions that we'll talk about that each member moves in. We also recommended this book. It's called The Road Back to You. Um, we recommended that back in March when we started this class. Um, it is a very good overview and it's going more in depth than we'll be able to in the amount of time that we have. So if you think you've heard Maybe this could be me, but I still don't know. I would encourage you to find some of these resources and look further for yourself um, because there's great uh, information in all of them. Awesome. Cool. Well, let's jump in. All right. So we're going to start out with eights. So eights are the challenger or the boss or the protector. And so for eights, everything is very clear. It's black and white. And they are going to be the most physical in terms of energy uh, of all the numbers on the Enneagram. So they're going to be these really high motor people. Um, they are passionate. They love to harness their energy. They often find it difficult to live into their softer feelings. And so we mentioned this is in the anger triad and they're going to externalize their anger. So really what this means is that they're going to use anger as a, as a means of power to cover up any type of vulnerability. So they really have these hard exteriors. They need a challenge. They need something to push against. They need kind of a negative energy that they're working uh, opposing to. They have a really hard time trusting. Their biggest need is they want to be independent. So they want to stand uh, with no one else attached to them if possible. It often looks like standing against something. So, you know, these people, um, when they see an injustice, they're going to be the first person that's going to be really vocal and speaking out against it. So, right, they bring this full-on energy to every single problem that they see. They want to be in control, and they want to protect themselves at all costs. So kind of leaning on that, we talked a lot about how we know our numbers by their motivation. It's not just about by behavior. Um, an eighth's motivation is to be self-reliant and to prove their own strength. Um, so that looks like challenging a lot, but really they want you to meet the energy that they're bringing to the table because they have high energy. Um, and they don't respect people who don't stand up for themselves, um, but they also root for the underdog. So they want to seek out injustice and speak up for those who aren't speaking for themselves. Um, so another thing that we're going to talk about with each number is the wounding message or the healing message. Um, those are two different things. And something that's referred to as a childhood message or the loss message. Um, each number has one, and pretty much the wounding message is something that you feel that you've heard in your lifetime and that you internalized 
whether or not someone spoke that to you or it was just something that you experienced. So for eights, their wounding message is it's not okay to be vulnerable or to trust anybody. So eights are really avoiding vulnerability. Um, they feel like that is weakness that's, um, and they want to show their strength. And then their healing message is that you will not be betrayed. Um, so kind of leaning in the opposite direction. So they think that it's not okay to be vulnerable because they think that somebody might, might betray them. Um, that goes into being hard to trust people. Yeah, so that's kind of a, a brief description. And so we'll talk about arrows as well. So if we're looking at this image of the Enneagram, it's got all nine of the numbers around the circle. And then you'll see a bunch of different lines that are interconnecting the numbers. And so these are the arrows and they represent what this number goes to in its security and then what it goes to in stress. So it's going to take on characteristics of other numbers. And one thing that I didn't say earlier that I should have said, Sam, is that's also why it's great to know other numbers than just your own, because you have relationships with other numbers even within yourself. Um, so knowing other numbers helps you know yourself better because you do move um, in a way between them. Is that so depending, on, depending on circumstances, I guess, then, or depending on the relationship with another person? Yeah, so the, the arrows that we're talking about, um, they move between stress and security. So it's not just any number on the Enneagram, but each number has a number that they go to when they're in a stressful life stage or circumstance or a secure life stage or circumstance. Okay. So Scott's going to tell you which ones Ace go to. Yeah, so, so for Ace, when they are uh, in, a, in a healthy place, they're going to take on some of the better characteristics of a two, which is the helper. So they're going to become softer. Right? They're going to lose this hard exterior. They're going to be more generous, more giving. So these are kind of core characteristics of a two, of a helper. And so when eights are at their best, they lose this hard shell. Uh, and they begin to show a little bit of a softer side and they let people come in. At their worst, when they're in, in their stress, they take on some of the negative characteristics of a five, which is the investigator or the observer. And so they will withdraw. They will become less expressive and they just want to gather as much information and then they won't act upon it. So my mom is an eight um, and I'm very much an eight's daughter. So I learned a lot from being in her household and, you know, she's really a tiger mom and I would have described her like that a long time ago. But learning the Enneagram is interesting because it just kind of helps you describe somebody that you already know and love very well sometimes. Um, so this was a quote that I immediately thought of to share about my mom. It was when I was in college and I don't know what I said to her um, to get this reaction out of her, but she said, I can outrun you. I can beat you up. I can see better than you. Don't talk to me like I'm an old lady. <laughs> um, my mom is very fierce and I've learned so much from her. Um, thankfully, I'm one of the people that in her life that she is able to be tender with. So I see a lot of sides of her that someone else might not because of that hard exterior of an eight. Um, eights are typically really misunderstood numbers because of that hard exterior. And so I love the insight that I have with my mom um, and all the things that I've learned from her and the strength that she's embodied. Um, you know, what it means to be a strong female was never a question for me because of who I grew up with. Hmm. So you mentioned that a lot of these kind of help you better understand maybe what path you need to take for like spiritual growth. or so for someone who's kind of prickly, I guess, or maybe just hard shelled, what does that look like for them? So for eights, really the biggest thing is to lean into vulnerability. So part of being in community with others is being vulnerable about yourself and your, your weaknesses, um, allowing others in. And that's something that eights really, really struggle with. There are some books that we can throw up also to recommend for eights that might be helpful in pursuing that. Um, Brene Brown is an author that I know is recommended to eights because she talks a lot about the power of vulnerability. 
right? Eights kind of have this natural inclination to not trust at least a big group of people. And so they're going to have their kind of core group. So in my, in my mind, a really good spiritual practice is to have, uh, like what Ali said, someone that you can be vulnerable with. So maybe that's a spiritual director or spiritual mentor. Um, you know, this kind of counselor image, someone that you can be very brutally honest with and that you can allow to see the worst parts of you and for them to speak into your life, to be trusting and vulnerable with them is something that's really beneficial for an eight. I think also, I think, I mean, I'm not an eight, so I can't really speak into this, but the relationship of Christ who comes to you in your brokenness um, and is your strength and your times of weakness. Um, I think that's something that I think is important for an eight to understand that there's not this need to always be the strong, but that um, there are moments when Christ is strong for you. Yeah, Philippians 2 is a great text for an eight. Okay. About the idea of being broken, pouring yourself out. That's great. Eights are natural advocates. I mean, they are the ones who are, when they see something wrong, they're going to step up and say something. But then realizing uh, that they can't fix their own brokenness, it's something they can choose, but their brokenness is something they can work from is a really healthy spiritual image for an eight. So it sounds like uh, if someone's an eight, they probably have been stereotyped as an alpha male, maybe at some point in time maybe have been stereotyped as someone that has had a Superman complex at some point in time. Um, so if that's you, um, this might be, this might be your number. And I would say I wasn't planning on this, but, but I know one of the things Scott, you said that, that made me think of what we're doing in young adult ministry um, that could help this. You talked about, you know, being able to get into a group where you're comfortable and vulnerable. One of the things we're trying to do uh, this year is have, what we're calling micro groups or, or core groups where it's not your small group. It's not your Bible study, but it's a group of two, three or four other people, same gender, typically friends, because when you're in a group like that, you want to be with friends because you want to be with people that you are comfortable going a deeper level with. And so that is something that we are actually planning. We're going to have a meeting about in a few weeks and we're going to start publicizing it. And so if you're an eight and, and you need this to help you uh, be more healthier or grow spiritually, then that's something you might want to look into and, and, and shoot us an email uh, to, to look, look into and, and talk with us more about. One thing I also want to point out is that you um, immediately said that eights present as an alpha male, which creates a really interesting um, environment for an a eight that is a female. Mm -hmm. um, that's actually something that is discussed in the book that I pointed out. Um, it's a less culturally accepted way for a woman to be. Right. Um, and it, that's kind of where that misunderstood portion comes from, especially for females, because they're not received um, as they should be for being strong. It rubs people the wrong way. And so I think that that can also um, be a really difficult place to be in. So if you are a female eight and that has been a hard thing for you, um, it's good to find people that you can lean into that can love you as you are and that you don't need to change to be um, around. So much like you said last week, um, a lot of Southern women typically blanket statement end up as twos, right? Or think that, um, and that's something I learned about Myers-Briggs. It, it's vastly different, but just this idea of like who you are, but also who you are in different situations or how you have to present yourself. Um, so I think that's really interesting that you could be an eight, but based on your circumstances or your culture or whatever else, you may have to present a different way that's a little bit more um, conforming. 
which I will say that for eights, they're going to be really against that. So <laughs> you probably will see their true personality come, personality come out anyways, because it's not um, in their wheelhouse necessarily to try to conform to what you're wanting them to be, because they are strong in who they are. And it sounds like if you're All not, right, so oh, sorry, if you're not, if you're not an eight, uh, you work with or live with an eight, it sounds like your priority for, for this, for whoever is an eight in your life would be to gain their trust, be someone that they can see that's reliable, that's trustworthy. And then in doing so, you create a safe place for them to begin to open up because it seems like that you said that's the thing they kind of have been fighting their whole life, I guess, or, or just this sense of I can't really be my real self or express my real feelings. And so if you work with someone or live with someone that way, it seems like the priority would for a healthy relationship would at least be um, to, uh, you know, not, not in an unhealthy way, but in a, in, you know, in a, in a way that, that um, opens the dynamics of the relationship to where they feel like they can trust you and they feel like you're a reliable person. And, and you won't, you know, if they do open up to you, you're not going to go off and, you know, blabber it somewhere else. I guess it's the, the healing message, right, Scott, Allie, that I guess the in relationship you'd want to have that for eights, the I won't hurt you or I won't abandon you, which is the opposite of that wounding message that they play on, which don't be vulnerable. Excellent. Is that right? Yeah. Am I? Perfect. Yes, exactly. Exactly mm -hmm. right. Cool. All right, so... The next number in our anger triad is the nines. So right, eights are going to externalize their anger. They're going to be presenting themselves as opposing an anger, opposing an injustice. Nines are avoiding anger. So if eights are the most energetic of the numbers of the Enneagram, nines are the least. So it's said that nines start out at a very low energy and then they taper off from there. <laughs> uh, they often forget their own needs and they're going to merge themselves to the viewpoints of other numbers. So as the peacemaker, as the peacemaker or the mediator, um, they can self-question a lot. They're not going to self-doubt, but they're going to continuously have this thought in the back of the head. Uh, they're natural mediators. They see two sides to everything and they see each side as being equal. They can harmonize really, really well with two conflicting points of view. So they're natural kind of bridge builders between two opposing people. They like to take kind of all the muck and synthesize it down into a single point of view. But they also are just fence sitters. So they are notoriously really poor at prioritizing what needs to get done. Um, for nines, that can look like being indecisive. Um, there's always kind of a running, which I don't like the Enneagram jokes, but that nines could not decide where to go for dinner because they want to know where you would like to go for dinner. And most of the time that's genuinely because they don't care um, and they would rather you just decide. Um, so nines, um, they, sorry, their motivation is to avoid conflict and tension. Um, the wounding message that they have heard either just from experience or someone said this to them at some point where they've internalized it is it's not okay to assert yourself. Um, and their healing message is that your presence matters. So for a lot of nines, they believe that it wouldn't matter if they were there or they weren't there. Um, I was talking to my best friend today. She's a nine. And I was like, Meredith, I need a good story about like how you're like a quintessential nine. So I can give a really good example for this podcast. And I can't think of anything, but like you're a nine. And like, I can tell that you're a nine. And she was like, that's, 
a very nine thing that you can't <laughs> think of any story. And to her, that was because like nothing sticks out, um, which isn't true about nines, but that's how they view themselves. Um, so I have a lot of close nines in my life. Um, Meredith, my best friend, is one of them, and my dad is another. Um, I think nines get misconstrued a lot just as being indecisive, um, but they also have so much to offer in relationships. Um, they also, you know, they avoid that anger, but it does come out in sort of a passive-aggressive way. So because they don't really know what to do with that, it can boil up, and then all of a sudden, like, they're reacting to something that has nothing to do with what is happening or um, other ways. So it's they avoid conflict and anger, but that still is residing within them. So it's an interesting way, and I think it depends on person to person how that comes out, but passive-aggressive tends to be um, the language used to describe that for a nine. So we talked about arrows. So for a nine, when they are in stress, they're going to take on some characteristics of a six, the loyalist. So not just self-questioning, they're going to start self-doubting. They're going to become more anxious. They're going to become more worried. Uh, but at their best, in security, they're going to take on some characteristics of a three of the achiever. They're going to become more self-developed and they're going to become more energetic. So they're going to kind of find something they're passionate about and really for the first time have a spark behind them to do it. And you know, we talked about in the intro is that the beauty of the Enneagram and knowing people and knowing their numbers is that you can give grace to yourself and you can give grace to others. So it's really easy, like Hallie said, um, if I know someone's a nine and maybe I don't see their passive aggressiveness as just them not liking me, but instead this is just kind of the trait of who they are and something they're working towards, I can give grace to them um, and, and truthfully just have a better relationship. I think you can say that a lot better than I can say, but... Mm -hmm. Um, something else to know about nines is like they are true procrastinators um, and that can look like they don't have a way to prioritize if they had a list of things to do. Um, things just kind of carry them sometimes and they go from one thing to the next thing and it seems logical to them but to somebody looking at them inside it's like where were you going with that? Um, so nines are capable of doing things it just takes them a little bit longer to get there than maybe somebody else. I was going to say John if you don't mind sharing if you have a story I know that you are close and love a nine. Um, if there's anything that you could think of to share about a nine, that might be helpful. Yeah, so I was sitting here thinking, uh, you know, A, the verse that came to mind for me was, blessed are the peacemakers. Um, mm. Very much fits in with the nines I know. At least, you know, with, with who I know, um, nines a lot of times are are very, very capable, uh, but there is a, a lack of, of self-confidence um, or, or uh maybe that they would bring value to whatever, whatever it is that, that you're doing or, or that's going on. So um, living or working with someone like that, I think, I think it's important to pour into, uh, pour into them and, and sort of feed that. You know, you talk about where they go in security. They are self-developed and they are energetic and, and they have that, that sort of ambition and drive of a, of a three. And I see that, but it almost, it almost takes, it, it's not internally, uh, created, it's, it's sort of externally fed by by others in their life, encouraging and and pouring into them. At least in, in what I've seen. And you mentioned, you know, a, a good verse for nines, and it's so important for them to know that they do bring value, that their life has worth, that they are important. 
So simply knowing that, you know, they're just not the blue guy, the sixth man on the NBA team. They're they actually a star player in this whole thing called life. Um, that they're bringing something to the table that's unique and individualistic and has, and just has value to it. So for them to be able to, one, internally know that they have importance, but two, uh, nines can often procrastinate and they can just simply never do. So for them to get behind something and then to take action towards it is a great spiritual growth plan for them. So, you know, I think about going on a mission trip. So finding something in the world that you're passionate about and then putting boots on the ground and going and doing it is a really healthy thing for nines to be able to do. Is there anything to be said about like what types of jobs or profession style of work that different personalities kind of gravitate? You know, just between eights and nines, they seem so vastly different in how they attempt to conquer the world. Um, but I wondered if, you know, they gravitate those ways or kind of like we just talked about a couple minutes ago that they are able to present a certain way, even if though that's not there. So I don't know in yeah. your expertise, you see any sort of relationship between personality and area occupation. I definitely, I mean, that is for sure a thing. There are lists out there. I always am hesitant to kind of box things any more than we already do just because there are always outliers and that doesn't mean anything about you in particular. Um, but eights um, are really go-getters and so they're in those types of roles where they're high energy doing things. Um, oftentimes they're in leadership roles, not necessarily because they asked for that, but because there wasn't someone better to lead. Um, so that that's kind of how that could look. Nines, I know for sure counseling roles. Um, I'm trying to think of other other ones I've heard. Yeah, they're very diplomatic. So uh, counseling, therapy, HR, mm -hmm. you know, these type of positions. But it is something to be said, too, about, right, we all are ministers of the church, and all of us have different numbers. And so there are categories that these numbers are going to fit in really well, too. You know, we'll talk about fives, the observer, investigator, and that's like a perfect engineer-type position. Uh, but... I'm a three, Sam, you're, you might be a five, John might be something else, Travis is something else, Holly is something else, and yet we're all bringing these unique giftings to the table. So, yeah, very much so. It, both, pro, both and, both and there. Great. All right. Well, let's do the, the last number here in our anger triad. So, eights, externalize anger. Nines, avoid anger. Uh, and ones are the perfectionist or the reformer, and they're gonna be internalizing anger. So uh, anger might not be the best noun to use. Maybe resentment is a better word when it's internalized. So ones are repressing their energy. So anger is not the problem, but it might be the source of problems in their life. So they're gonna kind of have this, this kind of uh, repressed energy that's just gonna boil up and explode eventually. Uh, they are seeking to make things right. There's a right way and a wrong way. It's very clear, like for eights, it's very black and white. There's a perfect way to do it, but they're always seeking an unattainable perfection. So some people like to say they're always trying to make an ice sculpture and it's always melting at the same time, but they're trying to do something that never fully is attainable. So they struggle with not feeling worthy or good enough, right? They're always striving internally for a perfection. They want to be right. They have the ability to assess everything and to improve everything. So they always see this can be done better. This can be done better. Uh, my dad is a one. I remember as a kid not mowing the lawn correctly or not mowing the lawn like he wanted to and him stopping me and 
him getting on the mower and then doing it again the way that he wanted it. And the same thing with the dishwasher, right? There's a right way to put the forks and the silverware in and there's a wrong way to do it. And it's very clear. And so it just doesn't understand, like, why would you do it anyway else? So they have a relentless inner critic because they have this internalized anger. Uh, they're list makers. They're comparing things. Uh, they love accountability. They love feedback, right? They always want to be better. Uh, they love clear guidelines. They're very practical people. The wounding message that they internalize is it's not okay to make mistakes. Um, and the healing message is that you are good. Um, that's very hard for a one to hear because they are constantly feeling like they have missed the mark in some way. Um, like Scott said, they have an inner critic going all of the time with very harsh criticism. Um, sometimes ones can, can come across as very judgmental and critical of others, but um, to them it feels like a very minuscule amount of judgment because of how much they place upon themselves. So any criticism, criticism that comes out, they think that you probably also are trying to be perfect and it's meant to be helpful, but it can come across really harsh. Um, but that's just kind of the inner dialogue that's going on in their head all the time. Yeah, ones can see themselves as teaching you something and it can come across as them preaching at you, right? There's this fine line between those two things. So, okay, for arrows, for one, when they are in stress, they are taking on characteristics of the four, the individualists. So they're going to become even more moody. They're going to become irrational, right? If you're not doing it this way, right, they can just go on this rabbit trail. Uh, at their best, they take on traits of a seven. So they lose some of this inner critic, some of this list making and planning, and they become more joyful and more, uh, you know, just adventurous, more fun filled. Uh, so I mentioned that my dad is a one. Uh, I'm actually going to preach a sermon on him and our relationship in a week from now. But um, my dad had a, had a mental health uh, crisis uh, last year. And through that, we have become even closer because he finally admitted that, right, I'm not okay. Uh, I'm not perfect and I need help. So this was kind of a coming to Jesus moment for both him and I and and us uh, both not being healthy numbers, so me not being a healthy three growing up and him not being a healthy one, we have really butted heads and haven't had a great relationship. But because, at least in the last year, we both have done some of this inner work, our relationship is better than what it has been in the past. So a spiritual growth path that is good for this number, a place that they can find a, a room to grow, um, is to release judgment and to accept what is. Um, that is really hard for a one to do. And that is a great place to start, um, to realize that the salvation of the world does not depend on you alone, um, and to learn to just kind of let go and relax a little. Um, that's a great place for ones to try to focus and um, have some growth. It's similar to an eight. So eights are striving for this external perfection. Ones are really striving for an internal perfection and then realizing that you know, things just aren't perfect in life. And this is why we have a savior uh, is a, just a truth for them to come back to. That's helpful. A, a savior that doesn't require you to do anything. They're just freely given. Um, so if it's okay with you guys, uh, I thought we would kind of close the three numbers by just going over a brief um, thing out of this book that we mentioned, sure. The Road Back to You, um, that 
describes what it's like to be each number. So if you're thinking, I might be an eight, I might be a nine, I might be a one, um, this might help you a little bit further to find some clarification. And if not, I encourage you to keep listening and to find more places to um, find more information. You talked last week about having like the spotlight on you or whatever. And um, I've never really gone through it, but I've had a lot of people be like, you're a five, you're a five. When you just described the one, I was like, okay, that sounds a lot like me. That sounds a lot like me deep down. So, so now I've got some wrestling to do. So, but go, so read to me from the book because I, I got to have a moment here. So. <laughs> I was thinking about that. So this one, is almost a, a oh, new sorry. game. What number is John? We can <laughs> yeah, find out seriously. at the end. So that'll be the big reveal. <laughs> yeah, I will let you know. Keep listening. So one thing that I also didn't mention last week that is helpful to know is, yes, it feels like a spotlight, but also typically your number is not one that you're like, oh, I love my number. Like, I'm so, I like this so much. Usually it's like the one that makes you cringe. It's usually the one that makes you feel a little bit uncomfortable. So when you're listening through the numbers, if there's one that's just making you kind of like shift in your seat, that might be your number. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and re read out of this. Again, that's The Road Back to You. Um, it's a great book for a starting place. So what it's like to be an eight. Um, I've been told that I'm too blunt and aggressive. Doing things halfway is not my spiritual gift. It's hard for me to trust people. Justice is worth fighting for. Saying no isn't a problem for me. I make decisions fast and from the gut. I don't like it when people beat around the bush. Um, don't mess with people that I love. I know I'm respected, but sometimes I want to be loved. I have no problem confronting a bully. If God wanted people to wear their hearts on their sleeve, he would have put it there. <laughs> Under my tough exterior is a tender, loving heart. So if that described you, look more into eight. Okay, this is what it's like to be a nine. I'll do almost anything to avoid conflict. I am not a self-starter. Sometimes I get lost doing trivial tasks while things that really need to be done get put off. I tend to procrastinate. People want me to be more decisive. I often choose the path of least resistance. Others see me as more peaceful than I really am. I don't think as myself as often being very important, and I don't like to take work home with me. Sometimes I tune out and I think about the past. I'm often uh, quietly stubborn when people are putting demands upon me, and it would feel selfish for me to spend a whole day doing whatever I want to do. That's totally my wife. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then the last one is what it's like to be a one. People have told me I can be overly critical and judgmental. I beat myself up when I make mistakes. I don't feel comfortable when I try to relax. There's too much to be done. I don't like it when people ignore or break the rules, like when the person in the fast lane at the grocery store has more items than are allowed. <laughs> Details are important to me. If I say I'll do it, I will do it. It's hard for me to let go of resentment. I think it's my responsibility to leave the world better than I found it. I have a lot of self-discipline. It seems to me that things are either right or they are wrong. Forgiveness is hard for me. I notice immediately when things are wrong or out of place. I am really disappointed when people don't do their part. I like routine and don't readily embrace change. I often feel like if I try harder, oh, sorry, I often feel like I try harder than others to do things correctly. How'd that make you feel, John? Unsure? <laughs> um, yeah, so it's... All right, so, you know, uh, this is a weird example. It just came to mind, but, like, if you're watching a baseball game, a dude hits a hits a ball, and you think it's going to 
be a home run, and then it dies at the warning track. That's kind of what that felt like, because there were times when I'm like, yeah, 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 and then I'm like, oh, no, it's not really me. So, I don't are you the, Are you the kind of person that takes 11 items to the 10, at, 10 <laughs> items? I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> and, and I do, I, I get really angry at the people when you're in the highway, and, and like there's a lane closure, and they speed up, and mm. oh, that makes me so mad. So there's parts, there's parts of that. <laughs> this is Are you saying Scott because... is that guy? Dude. Oh yeah. Oh gosh. That's I know on. it's the worst. Okay. So one thing that I will point out is like <laughs> a one, a one would never put more groceries than they're supposed to in the 10 items or less line, but neither would a couple other numbers, but their motivation is different. So ones are doing that because that is what is right. But somebody else might do that to avoid judgment of others or so on and so forth. So it's really interesting to see some of those um, funny situations play out the same way for different people. Nice. Yes, yeah, so a one might not do it because they feel like it's right. As a three, I am doing it because I am trying to be as efficient as possible, right? I'm trying to get out of the store quickly. So I might bend the rules a little bit if I can do it better. Not to say that every three does that. Not to say that every three is unethical as I am, but... <laughs> nice. Well, this is really good. I'm glad that you are questioning this because I think that there's going to be a lot of people who are listening to this who are also wrestling and saying, oh, that might be me. Okay, let me listen to the next week. Let me go back. Let me dive a little deeper. So it's really good that at least one of us here on the podcast is doing this type of work for the first time. I think that's super beneficial and yeah, um, helpful. I think also, like we were talking about before, learning other numbers. You know, part of what's so helpful about this is like when I'm reading about uh, ones, like part of my heart breaks a little bit. When I'm reading about nines and they're not feeling valued by people or not feeling like they're important, my heart breaks a little bit for them. And so I think it's always a good reminder to know that you don't know where someone's coming from or how they're feeling in the situation. And so like we said, like a million times last week, this is just an opportunity to continue to give grace. Um, I think that's a really great thing to learn from the Enneagram. Even if you don't know a person that's an eight, um, there are people in the world that experience the world that way. Well, if you think uh, you might be one of these or you want to look more into one of these, maybe you live with one or work with one, or maybe you just want to know more. Uh, we've talked about the Road Back to You is a great introductory resource. We'll put some other charts or images or things like that recommended by Scott and Allie or, or just that we find and maybe get approved by them. Uh, we'll put that in the, in, the, in the show notes as well. And then is there anything else that you guys can think of that would be maybe a resource for people with, with these numbers or that want to look more into these numbers? Maybe a video or a, a podcast episode, a different podcast, not as good as ours, but, you know, it still might be helpful. I'm very prepared for that. No, well, uh, speak for yourself. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> the Liturgist has a good Enneagram episode. It's like two hours long. A Jin Hatmaker just did an um, Enneagram series. So those are really good podcasts. Uh, the Enneagram Institute is a good website that you can go to. It's it's uh, really accessible. They even have their own app called the Enya app of all their information. Um, you know, there's great books. Suzanne Stabile uh, and Ian Crone wrote The Road Back to You. Suzanne Stabile has her own podcast. So does Ian Crone. It's called Typology. Uh, and she's got videos out there. She's She's got her own Twitter and Instagram and all that kind of stuff. Like I mentioned, she has a lot of ministry in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Um, her ministry is called Life in the Trinity Ministry, I'm pretty sure. She also has a lot of resources on her website that you can purchase. Um, if you want to go way further with this than we're able to in the time that we have, 
Um, she has a lot of resources for learning about stances and wings um, and the Enneagram in relationship to other numbers and things like that. So really, The Road Back to You is a, it's a great resource. It's an introductory text. It's super easy to get into. There, there are more textbook-looking books, like The Wisdom of the Enneagram by Riso and Hudson. It's uh, pretty thick, as is The Enneagram, A Christian Perspective by Richard Rohr. So this book has a lot more into the spiritual depth element of you are a one, now what do I do with my spiritual walk? And if you're not into reading, there's so many podcasts available. If you're an Instagrammer, there's several Instagram accounts that post things about the Enneagram all the time that could be very helpful for you. So we'll try to link as much of that as possible. Uh, for and we just us, like are there any of too. those books that uh, have pictures, maybe some rhyme? <laughs> nice. We will no, make one. No Dr. Seuss Enneagram book so far. We'll let you know. <laughs> nice. Well, uh, as we uh, wrap up for this week, give us a, a brief preview of what triad we'll be talking about next week. Okay, so next week we're going to be talking about the heart triad or the feeling triad, which lucky for you, we are a part of. So we'll have some personal insight to two of the numbers of the three. Ooh, ooh. Um, so that's twos, threes, and fours. Excellent. We'll tune in for that next week. Also, I want to let you know before we close, in the next uh, seven days or so, we'll release the topic of our October podcast series. I'm really looking forward to that one. I think it's going to be really exciting. So be on the lookout cool. for that. We'll, we'll release that on our social media accounts. Uh, and if you're not following us there, follow us there. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram. Like I said last week, we're now on YouTube, Spotify, and iTunes, which you're listening on one of those if you're listening right now. Go ahead and follow us on the others. If you're on iTunes, give us a five-star review. I haven't checked in the last week. I know the last time we, we checked and we looked, we had five, uh, eight five-star reviews. So Good. hopefully we've got it right now. <laughs> nice. Please do. Yeah. I, I do. I will say now we are in three countries. We are in the United States. We've been downloaded in Sweden, as I mentioned last week. And somebody has downloaded us in Turkey. So uh, really go. awesome. Uh, I, don't, I don't know what we're talking about that's, uh, you know, has, has that appeal, but very thankful for it. It's really awesome. Any new followers in Denmark? Are we still banned? No, we're, we're, we're banned there as far as I know. So unfortunately, we're, yeah. We're working so. hard for you, Denmark. We'll, we'll be banned <laughs> right. somehow. Coming to you. Do remember to, uh, you know, check the show notes at all times. And again, really appreciate everybody listening. I, I do want to give a special shout out to Lee Bishop for telling me tonight when she saw me that she's really appreciating the podcast. Also, Jackie Bellamy has posted about it on social media. So really excited to have like actual fans and listeners. So hats off to you guys. Keep listening, keep sharing, and we will see you again next week. So for myself, for Sam, for Scott and Allie, thank you guys so much. Have a good week. See y'all.